Um, my name is Tim Craighead, uh, the uh, senior European equity strategist from Bloomberg Intelligence um, uh, here in London. Um, and I'm uh, joined with Rolf Nelson from BNY Mellon, uh, Jonas Thule from Eric Penser, and uh, uh, Kalinka uh, Dinikova from Kleinwort Hambrose as, um, as a group of, uh, of panelists to join me in discussing uh, the topic at hand about investing amid sustained elevated inflation. Um, I, I'm gonna go through a, a little bit of housekeeping up front, um, set the stage, and then we'll, uh, we'll get moving into uh, the webinar and the discussion in earnest. Um, so to begin with, uh, I'm very much um, uh, right up front, very pleased to say uh, that uh, we're here on behalf of, uh, of Vinco, uh, along with Bloomberg Intelligence. Um, as you probably well know, Avenco uh, is a very good team that actively brings together asset owners and allocators um, with fund companies. I, I've happened to have the pleasure of, of hosting several in-person events uh, this year across Europe. Um, I'm always learning a lot from the fund pitches um, and the insights from panel discussions that happen with these events. Um, and uh, there are there are several more that are coming um, over the course of the next several weeks. Um, Zurich later this uh, later next week, Milan, Lisbon, Bilbao. Um, here in London, there's a two-day pan-European event that comes up uh, in November. Um, if you'd like more detail um, about these events, please reach out to Avenco. Um, uh, I am sure they will all be uh, quite worth the time. Um, from a Bloomberg Intelligence perspective, um, in case you're not aware, um, we're the investment research arm uh, at Bloomberg. We have a full breadth of coverage uh, from strategy um, across asset classes to industry outlooks across all regions. And we actively uh, we have actively managed primers on over 2,000 companies uh, in credits. Um, we've also got a very deep ESG effort that's integrated uh, within our research process. And all of it's available on the terminal. And certainly, I'd be happy to follow up offline about what we're doing within Bloomberg Intelligence, if you would like. Um, I've been part of the team for almost 13 years now and one of our research directors. Um, now, the webinar, uh, more importantly, uh, it's the first of a series of topical discussions that we're calling Trend Watch. Um, each will happen towards the end of a month uh, as we look forward in, in coming months. Um, we're starting with inflation, which clearly is, is topical today. Um, and we'll be exploring a variety of different topics over the course of, of the series. Um, one that uh, is likely to be coming soon is investing in asset allocation in a period of energy transition. Um, we'll also be looking at positioning uh, for 2023 as we start thinking about the year ahead outlooks across all of our organizations. So today, though, um, investing amid sustained elevated inflation. You know, it was it was interesting. We were setting this up a month ago, um, and yeah, the topic was interesting, but there were budding thoughts. Uh, from some that maybe the worst is over. Uh, bond markets, equity markets were starting to trade up from the first half uh, uh, pummeling. And then came 
inflation stats, in particular in the U.S., that were disappointing. We had Jackson Hole and the the aggressive policy statements, and now just this week, more policy actions. Uh, and so, you know, elevated inflation and the and the the implications for investors are, are certainly back front of mind, um, and uh, we're ready to uh, to to. You know, think about these uh, with some hopefully some some interesting discussion and insights. You know, with the panel. Um, last comment I would make up front from a backdrop perspective is that you know from a BI strategy perspective, we've been focused on valuation compression risks all year long uh, with rising rates, but more so in the U.S., less so in Europe. Um, we've been focused on earnings risk. Um, yes, interesting. There's a sales boost. Uh, from inflation and currency is providing a tailwind in Europe, especially for the top line, but we're concerned about elevated margins. Um, in the US, we're less concerned um, about the earnings picture, all else being equal, because we've already seen uh, a host of negative revisions that we haven't yet seen from a European vantage point. Um, our orientation has been low duration over high. It's been value over growth. Um, We've looked at the UK as a European haven, um, given a, a bias towards energy financials and staples. And in the US, um, yes, we still see compression, risk, and valuation, but it's in the big five. Um, if you take the big five out, the rest of the market's trading about 15 times, which we think is roughly fair value from our US team's perspective. And I'll, I'll leave the backdrop here, but certainly would be happy to go through, you know, more detail, you know, offline, um, you know, at any time. Um, with this backdrop, I'd like to bring in our panelists, which is the heart of the discussion we'll have. Um, I'd like to have each give a little background on where they're coming from, what they're thinking, and then, you know, we'll get the, we'll get into the, the, the guts of the discussion. Um, Rolf, um, can, I, uh, can I have you lead things off? Yeah, sure. Yeah, many thanks. Um, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Rolf Nelson. I'm principal portfolio manager for BNY Mellon in Germany. We run here a fund company, a regulated fund company, and our primarily focus is the fiduciary fund management and the fund of fund management. So managing risk is our core objective, basically. Um, I think discussing inflation or interest rate risk and everything that comes along with that uh, a, a perfect fit for, for us within our daily controls, but of course also within our asset allocation responsibilities. Um, for us, is the independent opinion an important thing to have in place within the organization. We need to make sure that we understand our third-party external asset managers, what they do uh, why they are doing it and what is driving their decisions and trading activity. Um, hence, I'm pretty excited to see how my panelists, colleagues, uh, assess the market and inflation and what our conclusions will be at the end of the webinar. Uh, thank you. Well, oh, good. Yeah, I'm not muted. Um, thank you very much. Uh, Kalinka, let's, uh, let's turn to you. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Clinton. I'm part of the fund selection team um, within Society General Group, uh, and especially part of the external investment solution team. Um, our team is divided into different hubs of fund selection in terms of third party fund selection, uh, bond selection in terms of direct selection, and as well as we have a private equity and a liquid type of solutions that we're offering to 
all our clients within the private bank, within the investment bank, but also anything that is external um, uh, to as asset managers that we can offer a different part, a kind of solutions to them. Um, for us, it's been extremely difficult, especially on the fund selection side um, uh, in which I sit, uh, because active managers have had a very difficult time this year, uh, no matter which asset class you're looking at. Um, and it's been very tricky to pick up the ones that will be able to hold. It's almost unknown every day there is something happening. Uh, and as you mentioned, at the beginning of August, July, August, we're, we're having one thought. Uh, it happened afterwards, something else. This week, we had many news coming in from, from the start of the week. Um, so we are very, very hands-on. The solutions that we have, we have currently 200 active managers that we are looking at um, to be able to propose the best solutions to our portfolio managers in terms of construction of portfolio. Oh, very good. And uh, last but not least, Jonas. Oh, and you're muted, Jonas, I think. Or maybe. Uh, we're having having audio issues or challenges. Bear with us here. The wonderful world of Zoom. Oh, Jonas, I think we have you now. Can you hear me? Uh, we can hear you, but there's a bit of an echo. Uh, maybe it's gone now. Is it gone? Is it gone? Uh, yeah, it still seems to be there, unfortunately. Give it one more try, Jonas. Yeah, how about now? Oh, perfect. Thank you. All right. So I'm I'm just using my cell phone. So as you can imagine, I, I work for a very old-fashioned bank <laughs> where we we have we have issues with Zoom, but pretty much I'm, I'm heading the asset management team at a um, private-owned private bank in Sweden, and. Um, we pretty much trade uh, everything, equities and and uh, fixed income and and everything. And we uh, our selection base is all listed products in the world. Um, so we are uh, trying to find pockets of value and opportunities in this market. And there's been some really good trades this year, and it's been some 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 worse environment. But we think. For us, the work of being very active on a tactical level has been um, really key for, for our portfolios that we are running for institutions and, and, and high net worth individuals. Oh, very good. Well, look, with, with that background, um, let's, let's get into the meat of the discussion. Um, look, the first thing I'd, I'd like to throw out for consideration um, is, is it's kind of basic in a way, um, we all know that there is inflation. It's high, like we haven't seen for decades. But what are the what the what are the drivers that are causing concern to to each of you? I, if there there's a lot of different perspective on what's most important, what's potentially getting most entrenched, um, what could have an impact from a market oriented perspective. You know, uh, can you give 
can you give some some vantage points, some perspective in terms of how you're thinking about this? And you know, we won't keep going in the same order, but for now, um, you know, Rolf, do you want to you want to start things off? Yeah, sure. Um, maybe I start with a local thing to consider. We have energy and power prices in, in our folks at the moment in Germany, and I think there isn't a single day at the moment where headlines in newspapers are not talking about even blackouts, high costs to consumers, but also to businesses. And that's something that is really worrying for the industry in general, um, but for the household in particular. If they cannot pay their rent anymore or power bills anymore, then there will be no consumption. And that's not only applicable for Germany. I think that's applicable for the entire European Union, um, not in the same level to the U.S., um, but also there is uh, an increase to prices uh, in the energy and power sector. Um, that, that is the key focus, but also I think we need to also have a look at the central bank politics in general uh, in, in terms of inflation. Central banks have been late uh, to start hiking, the hiking process, and potentially they are also will be late in removing that stance, the hawkish stance that we see at the moment. That, that's the two things that I'm looking at primarily at the moment that, that worries worry me at the moment. No, fair fair enough. Um, Jonas Kalinka, anything you'd like to to throw in on this topic? Well, well from my from my perspective, it's not so much the social things because if if I look at our, our daily work, um, we are more focused on on finding value for our investors. Uh, we don't mind being long, we don't mind being short. Um, as I said before, what has sort of been new and a bit challenging for us is that predominantly we're invested now in South America, India, uh, Asia, and the US. We have no money left in Europe, uh, which is a little bit of a sad conclusion, but also quite realistic conclusion given what's happening in, in the asset market. And, and for us, uh, it, it's more, that's probably also a bit indirectly stressful in the fact that when will Europe be able to compete on an on asset level basis again? Uh, it will be good fun if you can invest somewhere in Europe. Now, obviously, there are pockets somewhere, uh, but in the broader schemes, we're a bit concerned about this blockification of the global economy. We think we can see that US is doing one thing, Asia is doing their thing. And in Europe, we, we have really struggling with the fiscal side of things. We're good on hiking rates, but as you can see in Sweden, direct conclusion from that rate hike is that it's not, well, let's dump the Swedish krona. We were on board on that trade, uh, made great money on it, but it's it was, was a, it's a very bittersweet uh, trade to do, actually. Oh, very fair. Um, in overarching concerns or thoughts about the drivers, you know, from, from your point of view, Kalinka? From our side, without wanting to, to repeat uh, Jonas or Rolf, uh, obviously central bank decisions is something that is crucial of whether BOE we've seen today, they have um, had a rate hike and yesterday the Fed had a, um, another policy um, choice as well. It's very much, the inflation is driven by the shock of the prices, which um, it, it happens to be long lasting and that creates some stickness in the market. Uh, so that's something that of concern for us and also in the US US, um, it's very tricky because the Fed had the dilemma of the low, um, uh, of how can they tackle inflation, basically. And uh, we are in a 
situation when they will try to not create the wage price inflation, which is the, um, the situation that is um, that we wouldn't want to have. Um, and also there is a stagflation risk, the energy prices as well. That's an, a huge uncertainty around the supply by Russia um, that creates more and more uh, concerns for us. No, fair, very fair. And I have to say that, you know, I guess from, from our vantage point and, and like Kalinka, I'm sitting here in, in, in London, um, it, you know, the, the drivers are different everywhere. Uh, you know, I, I get the, the omnipresent energy concern from, say, you know, Germany. Um, here, it's something of an issue, but it's at least being ameliorated from a near-term risk factor uh, from an economic perspective uh, with government policy uh, that's that's been launched, but there's uncertainties on how that's going to be implemented with a new government uh, here in the UK. And and you know from from our vantage point, the 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 sticky the the sticking factor, uh, the concerning factor in the U.S. and it's true in some other markets is how does this play through in terms of wages? It's you know it's the wage cycle that can end up being. Uh, what gets entrenched that can push this farther than just getting past geopolitical concerns right now that are essentially causing sanctions, essentially driving um, uh, energy supply issues. Um, and I guess you know the, the the other thing that I would throw out, you know, from a, a central bank perspective is it, it seems from our view, you know, the the only option they have is is to essentially affect demand destruction because that is the only lever that the Fed, the ECB, the BOE, et cetera, um, uh, have to work with. Um, and until demand start, starts to soften um, uh, with uh, that, that brings energy in particular back into some balance, um, you know, we've, we've got an issue at hand that you know, can, can say, stay sustained for a while. Um, at any rate, there is a question that um, is in the chat, and if anybody else has questions during the webinar, please do feel free to pop uh, to pop those in. But you know, the, the question is a simple one: um, Where will inflation be in six months? Uh, curious with the panel, um, do you think that we will see lower inflation rates over the course of the next? let's say six months, say six to nine months, if we want to give a little bit of a window uh, towards mid next year, let's put that as a, as a, as a marker. Um, and if you think that we are likely to see a reduction, if that happens to be your view, um, yeah, how, how far back are we pulling? Um, uh, you know, we, we don't think we're going back to pre-pandemic levels, you know, anytime over the next few years, you know, within the context of the work that we've been doing. But I'm curious, um, Kalenka or Jonas, Rolf, what are your thoughts? I don't think it's reasonable to uh, to have a number here uh, in the webinar. Uh, I, I don't want to make that prediction, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but I, I think we've seen peak inflation for the U.S. at least. I'm not sure about Europe. Given the, the hawkish stance that we see at the moment, basically globally, I, I do think there is a big likelihood that we have seen peak inflation already. But maybe let me add one positive thing as well for the last question and this one as well. Maybe the high energy costs, maybe the high inflation is triggering something positive that we do 
engage more into the renewable sector that we have to that we are able first time to replace our reliance with renewable energy maybe that's a positive thing to to mention as well and and no doubt and we will come back to that topic from the standpoint of of an element of implications that feed into the world of investments. So let's let's come back on that one. Any any particular thoughts, Kalinka or or Jonas, in terms of the trajectory of where inflation goes over the course of now to mid next year? We would have hoped that inflation will go down, but we don't have a crystal ball at least on our side to say when. And yeah, six months. I think that it's maybe a little bit more of a short term. I would look at it more in a six to twelve months. And um, as you mentioned, in the UK, we have seen with the new prime minister, there is a lot of fiscal stimulus that has been announced that hopefully will help inflation to go down. But maybe a question is as well as at at what stage the rate uh, rises will stop, because that means to corporates and how they will pay their debt. And um, especially on the Fed side, uh, there are a lot of talks about 4% and even more than 4%. Some are saying that above 4% companies will not be able to pay their debt. So it really depends of where how they will be able to tackle, would it be hard or soft landing and how we'll be able to tackle inflation um, with the rate rises. Oh, fair enough. And uh, any, any last comments on this, Jonas? Yeah, well, we, we sort of triangulate this question, and we do have a definite answer on this one. When we look at, if we start with supply bottlenecks, which has sort of been a big issue that we don't discuss it too much anymore, but which are, you know, for good reasons. But what we can see in the supply bottlenecks is how fast they disappear. And I think it's very interesting now that the market has started to discuss deflation which is not a trade we have on, but I think it's just interesting that you have some key figures out there starting to think, well, if just arithmetically, if CPI, we know the base effects will peak in exactly in a month's time. So after 22nd of October, you know, inflation will mathematically have no way to go then lower. So we would break, you know, 5% within six months time. We think that's definite. So we look at the the supply sector we also look at you know one year expected inflation rates from u.s consumers for example and i think it's striking that we're below three percent on that we were up at eight and a half percent some six months ago and now we're shaving off more than five percentage points on one year inflation if you look at break-even curves you know you're sub four percent if you look at five five year swaption rates, they're down. If you, if you look at five five year break evens, they're, they're down. If you look at wage data, which we think is quite interesting, and we fully agree with Powell what he said yesterday, you can actually see wage data in US coming in softer and softer, not weak in any sense, but definitely not climbing anymore. And as a sort of a dumb, silly little data we also look at is Manham used vehicle, right? We had a year-year growth in, in back in March and in, in January, February of somewhat 40%, 45% yearly increase in, in January this year. In September, it's 0.5. So we're shaving off 44.5% on used vehicles in inflation. So for us, it's almost a bit interesting to see if that trend holds, we should start to align portfolios for a quite rapid unravel of inflation. Now we're speaking about the US and contrast that with a lot stickier situation in, in Europe, which is, of course, more supply-led inflation than demand-led situation. So we are, I guess, compared to the other speakers, we, we might be a bit more forward-leaning and a bit more aggressive, but I think with supply bottlenecks in our backs, we have the wage data, we have consumer expectations, 
And also, uh, quite importantly, a two-year break events, five target options, et cetera. And so the only thing missing for us is obviously the, uh, the equity market, which we are positioning for in line of this forecast. So also the question is sub 5%. Interesting. So you, you, you'll be the inflation, uh, I don't know whether that's an inflation bull or an inflation bear. Um, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> at any rate, but um, let's shift gears. I mean, the, the, the first market that I wanted to look into, and it fits into this discussion, you know, that we've just had, is what do you do with fixed income? You know, you, you could argue that fixed income in the first half of the year, and, and, and again, more recently, um, is uninvestable if you think about the pressure that it's had um you know relative to you know any recent time um is it uninvestable if as you look through the rest of this year and importantly as you start to think about 2023 um given your view about the macro backdrop um and in you know, jonas once we keep you talking um uh and uh get your thoughts on this yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, 2022 has been a year where we completely dumped fixed income. Uh, we keep that as low. Uh, I mean, given a you obviously we have different mandates from different customers, but we made sure is that to have as little fixed income as possible. And to be brutally honest, with a global mandate and global indices, if you look at Bloomberg, for example, on the 60-40 or 40-60 portfolio, the, the result this year is identical because obviously you'll be losing as much money on, on rates as on, on equities. We found equities to be more profitable because there we can do long, short spreads. We can play around with, with currency exposure so we can hedge differently than on the fixed income. So for us, you know, the brutal answer is it's been completely... Dead. And what we've done is we look at the systematic stress, systematic risk indicators that the ECB publishes, where we can see that liquidity is an issue in European fixed income markets, especially Sweden, actually. So what we've done is we are diversified away from Sweden. We use a lot um, of forward rate notes, of, sorry, um, funds, for example, in the global mandate. We even start to invest in emerging market debt because we find better liquidity there than we can actually find in for example, Sweden or parts of Europe. Very so for us, it's been very much a, a very um, cold asset class in that sense. But as you rightly point out, if we are half right on our inflation call, uh, obviously fixed income might not be roaring back because obviously equity markets will probably be fixed incomes nevertheless in that type of market. But it will become a little bit more interesting for us going to 2023. No, fair enough. Rolf, what about you guys? Uh, we have uh, quite a long-term investment approach on Having said that, we have, of course, fixed income exposure. We are not directly investing into fixed, um, fixed income. We are selecting the managers that invest into that. Um, but we never re reduced it. We defined our strategic asset allocation at the end of 2021. And we keep that. We stick to that. We believe that the long-term approach is also valid during volatility. Um, we want to maintain that. And in comparison to, let's say, growth stocks, technology stocks, that is still a diversifier for us. Yes, it has, you had losses, of course, in fixed income, um, but it's in no comparison to tech stocks, for example. And that's why we keep our exposure. We hatched partially the exposure, but we will not stop to invest in such managers and into that asset class uh, also going forward into 2023. No, fair enough. Kalinka, any any general thoughts on on fixed income broadly? 
Well, similar to, to Rolf, we do have different type of mandates. Um, obviously, the model portfolios that the conservative grows balanced. And if I take the balanced one, we are slightly underweight in terms of uh, fixed income exposure. And that's through uh, external uh, fund selection. Um, and again, it's throughout different markets. And within the markets, we are overall neutral on the investment grade underweight high yield. Um, and within the areas, US and Euro area, it's the mainly invested one where maybe slightly less invested in what Jonas is mentioning in emerging market debt. Uh, we do have different solutions, hard currency and local currency, and we are very selective on that. Uh, but overall fixed income exposure, we, as equity and as anything else, we, we've been very selective throughout our selection this year. No, fair enough. And it, I'm curious, but an element within fixed income, because as you all have all related, there's obviously there's different ways that you can approach looking at, 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 at the world of fixed income. What about the credit default cycle? You know, they, it, it doesn't seem like the market has been particularly worried about a cataclysmic issue here, given where spreads are currently trading. Um, you know, did, did do you agree with that? Do you think that there's more risk than what the market is pricing in within the context of corporate credit? Um, or is being relatively sanguine okay? Any any strong faults here? If I may start, maybe ah, on the other side, as I mentioned, we, we are underweight on the high yield corporate bonds just because of that, on the risk of recession, on the risk of companies not being able to refinance the debt and closely looking at where the expectations of the rate hikes will be. No, fair enough. Rolf? I, I agree, Kalinka. Um, maybe that's also a characteristic of our investment approach. We have no high yield, we have no convertible bonds or similar, and we won't take that into consideration going forward, um, but we still keep our fixed income investment grade exposure, as we don't think that there will be 2008 similar patterns. Oh, fair enough. And, and Jonas, any strong thoughts on this, given you all's you know, active, active perspective on things? Yeah, I think it's again. I guess it's you know where are we investing, but I think it's it's interesting to use a gold indicator that that Greenspan used in terms of appropriations. I mean, we can clearly see that we have an abundance of cash in U.S. corporates that are used, to, you know, not put in the barns for a rainy day. Now, our bet is that will be used in predominantly for share buybacks before the new tax law comes into place in January. But it also tells us that uh, corporates are, uh, you know, awashed with, with cash. Uh, we don't really see that issue of, of default as being sort of really hanging over our heads. So for us, and given how they're treating financial conditions quite maturely, we're not too concerned about that the sector in, in the U.S. and hence we're invested there as well. Um, but then again, if things change, you know, we're pretty quick to, to get out of that, uh, those positions. But we are definitely invested in, in that sector for the time being. And we think so far, I mean, if you look at EPS or earnings revisions that are troughing quite nicely, I mean, this, you know, if we, if we had cash on the sides, uh, we would allocate to that sector. Now, the last cash we had, we allocated that end of June into equity. So we, unfortunately, we don't have that cash and we actually bought growth equities in, 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 in the summertime. So I guess, yep. I guess we're sticking out a bit there on, there, on that end as well. <laughs> No, fair. Well, look, it, it's a good segue because um, uh, I wanted to shift gears um, 
uh, into the world of equities. Um, and you, we, we can hit on a couple of different levels here, but the thing I wanted to start off with is, and, and you, you all have all sort of briefly touched on this in, in your initial comments, but let's get into a little bit more depth. Where do you see the best opportunities from a traditional equity perspective? And, and I'd, I'd reiterate what I said briefly up front that within the work we're doing within BI equity strategy, we, we will take the other side of that trade, Jonas. We've got an orientation towards value away from growth, basically within the context of rising rates, having an impact on, on, on high duration versus low duration and value tends to be more low and growth tends to be more high. Um, we haven't backed away from that. And at least at this point, as we look into, you know, the rest of this year and early next year, we'll, we're, we're tempted to keep that, that orientation. Uh, but yeah, what do, what do you all think about the world of equities? However you want to cut it. Um, Rolf, do you want to start? I, I think we need to connect the dots from growth and value as well. Uh, in a balanced portfolio, we need both. Um, maybe there's also another dimension that we need to consider the thematic investment. I, I briefly touched on the ESG uh, topic uh, previously. And given these three things, I, I believe there is opportunity out there for end of this year, but also for next year. Um, I don't think that growth is that. I don't think that all the technology companies have major issues in the next couple of months or years. Uh, we are not talking about companies like we've seen in 2000, 2001. Uh, a lot of tech companies are healthy, have big balance sheets, and can continue to grow. Um, they are punished now at the moment just because they are technology, not because they are bad companies. And I, I think that that's an opportunity that we should not forget. Um, if we have a long-term investment horizon, then we need to have also exposure into technology. Uh, but personally, I, I think the renewables, the ESG sector space, that's something that will provide the most upside in the next couple of years. I know that is already expensive. The, the valuations are high already. But given what we've seen from a geopolitical point of view and all the trends that we see also from a regulatory point of view, it is the regulator wants you to invest into ESG, basically. Um, so I, it, it might be a bit crowded already, but I don't. I think that that is the space to be at the moment. Oh, fair enough. And we'll we'll come back to that one. Uh, Jonas, thoughts thoughts on um, on you know broad um, equities broadly. Yeah, I mean, I think this really you know how, how you slice the the cake in that sense. I mean, for us the. Uh, and I perfectly understand, I mean, the whole from a French from the 1920s in terms of growth and value. But for us, that you know, we don't invest that broadly. Um, we disregard that whole discussion quite quite heavily. Our growth sectors, if you look at clean energy, for example, it's up, what, 20% the last three months? Those have been a great growth trades and great tech companies. There's the, the abundance of value to capture there. If you look at yesterday, if you look at... Uh, some of the Latin American exposure on this, some of the Indian companies on this. You know, there are definitely pockets of, of really good performance out there in the world. So we probably think more nitty-gritty in that sense. We never invest in a value fund or a value ETF. Uh, we, we sort of dissect that a lot more and try to find um, you know, single building blocks or, 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 or not single, but 
more defined and more specified building blocks. So for us, when we say growth, yeah, we, we're up. I mean, it, it, it's a great trade. So the last three months has been killing you, 20% up, can't complain. But that, given that, you know, growth is very narrow in our mind. And, you know, we're completely focusing on clean energy, for example, uh, and so forth. So it's, uh, I guess that's what this year has meant to us, that we are no longer in broad equity, but, you know, we're not long-term, we're not broad investors uh, in order to chase and compete benchmark, uh, we are become more and more tactically active and more, much more narrow focused. Oh, very, very good. Um, Kalinka, thoughts? On our side, uh, on the balance portfolio, we are slightly overweight uh, equity and within equity, we are trying to find good blend portfolios, blend managers that are able to, or weather type of um, portfolios that are able to navigate through the markets. But this being said, we're neutral almost everywhere. We've been underweight um, emerging market, but we are now neutral with a very specific selection on the different countries and different regions. Um, and we're looking closely at China as well, because the zero COVID policy is starting to lift and there are positive news, let's say not good news, but positive news uh, on that front. And we brought a couple of strategies on the China, full China and China Asia's. Um, another area that is important to us is the UK, not only because I'm based here in the UK, but also because UK market has been uh, extremely good. Uh, overall income is um, an area where we're looking at. And if the value rally is there to continue, the UK market is well positioned uh, as well. We do have a couple of managers there that are performing well. No, fair enough. And it, you all have, have hit on a couple of things that I want to get into a little bit more detail. Um, and it, it, you know, I tell you, it's fantastic having people who are totally different vantage points here. Um, so thanks for your insights. But um, thematic investing, um, Rolf, you mentioned this. Um, it plays into the clean energy, um, Jonas, that you had brought up. Um, what else, and you can go into that a little bit more detail if you want, but what else are you thinking about from the standpoint of, of thematic investing, however, what whatever thematic investing means to you? Um, Rolf, do you want to start that? Yeah, um, I, I think thematic investments are fantastic. It's an opportunity also for a fund selector like me to place active bets, basically. Uh, that's not usually our core business, but if we are really confident about specific themes, then we can use such funds or ETFs to do that. And um, I mentioned it several times now, but the ESG space, but also more more Broadly speaking, food is uh, something that we are looking very closely that we are interested in. And we really like to assess whether funds and exposures that we get out of them are consistent with the regulatory environment according to Article 8 and 9. Um, that, that's really a space that we are looking in, in detail. And we, like most, most probably all of us, have project teams in place to assess all the requirements that we see out there at the moment. <clears throat> but that's the place where we do see the most uh, opportunities at the moment. No, fair enough. And, and Jonas? Yeah, I mean, I mean for us, we, 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 I think we work a bit differently. We are, you know, very sort of quant driven house. So, I mean, for us, themes are great. It, when we screen about 2 million funds every single day, uh, we will invest in those themes that fits our macro quant work as well. 
Um, that means, for example, right now we're quite heavily involved, as I mentioned before, in, in clean tech. Um, if that trend was to go away um, for a period of four or five days, um, we would, based on our math, then we will kick it out and take something else. And that's what I mentioned about before. I think this year, um, our success at Borussia's benchmark this year has really been down to being very active, finding the trends and getting out of the trends in the right, or not you know, perfectly right, but, but in good enough timing. Um, so for us, thematics are great. Um, we are cherishing the, the development in, on the fund space where we can find more and more nitty gritty ETFs and more and more pockets of value, which I think is more of the future. And, and, and sadly, I guess, you know, working in the banking industry for some time, you know, this old fashioned broad mutual funds for us is, is not really fitted because it's, uh, from our point of view, it's, it's quite interesting to compete with that um, and show that it's finding value of taking more concentrated bets. Oh, fair enough. Um, Kalinka. On our side, we're a private bank, so it comes with the definition of private bank of having the interest of thematic funds and ESG funds. So we do have a whole plethora of solutions and we do split them into different trends because what was thematic sectorial funds before is now trends. And uh, within that, we are quite proud because we recently launched a fund uh, for our clients called Moria Real Asset. And that's a fund that is investing in energy infrastructure, uh, in smart grid and battery storage and social housing. And for us, that's a in, in the line between thematic and ESG. And we, we believe that that's the area, whether or not within the fund that we launched or external asset managers, that's an area that we will continue to develop because ESG is inflationary as well. Uh, we can think about ESG of, in terms of quality or growth and some of the more traditional ESG funds, they haven't performed that well so far, but ESG is inflationary in, in the space of commodities and um, real asset that are there and as Rolf mentioned um, we are yet to invest public investment or private investment they, they will continue and with a spectrum of 10 years uh, this will be something that will develop. Oh, fair enough and, and there was a question related to thematics in the in the chat about how do you think about thematics in relation to investing you know you all have all talked about ESG or clean tech and elements of, of this and and I, I have a thought on this, but I'm curious, do any one of you all have a particular view on is inflation helping to feed the process and opportunities from a thematic perspective and maybe in this area? Um, or is it a, is there some angle that actually is problematic that most people don't think about? Feel free to jump in. It's a good question. I think it's... Inflation is more of a, a problem than of a support. Um, but I, I think I mentioned it at the beginning when we had the introduction. I, I think the inflationary environment that we are seeing now and the drivers of that can be a support for particular investment in thematic investments. Um, if we do see an acceleration in, in the build-up of infrastructure and renewables, that would be one positive for the country and to reduce potentially inflation to, due to energy, but also interesting from an investment point of view in a thematic ETF, for example. No, fair enough. Um, another element that a couple of you all have mentioned through the discussion already <clears throat> is a 
another twist on the the equity market exposure that's emerging markets um and clearly there's a divergent there, there's a, 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 a there can be a divergent set of views on this from the standpoint of you know part of what's playing through with inflation with fed policy being what it is with the u.s economy relative to other economies being what it is is you've got a strong dollar um, that can be problematic for emerging markets. But, you know, something, Jonas, I think you alluded to a little bit, you know, certain emerging markets have got a commodity element that can be super advantageous right now. So, you know, China is clearly on a totally different economic cycle. Uh, the Nifty's trading at almost a record um, in India. What are you thinking about emerging markets at this point? Um, Jonas, let's, let's kick off with you on this one. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I'm I'm a bit biased there because obviously I'm talking my own book here. I mean, we <laughs> we 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 love the Nifty, we love the emerging markets. Uh, we are we are quite quite heavily invested in that, but stretching from as I mentioned before, I think both South America all the way across Asia. If you just look at how they those regions or sectors perform versus the global benchmark, which is sort of our main competitor. The trough we saw in June was the key for us to capture uh, and, and sort of ride that wave that we've seen. And, and if you look at, I mean, just look at the graphs, uh, if you look at emerging markets or, or, or India or Latin America, I mean, it's very difficult to see the amount of trouble that we experience when we read the media uh, because they just keep on moving upwards, basically. So for us being very opportunistic type of investor, this has been brilliant. Uh, you know, get completely out of the Eurozone. We don't have a dime invested in Eurozone equities and, and put those money to work where we can find uh, not only positive returns, but also better returns in the global index. I mean, that's for us, it's, it's, it's as I said before, it's a bit bittersweet, uh, but from, a, from an asset management point of view, it's uh, pretty, pretty perfect. Oh, fair enough. And, and Kalinka, you mentioned China in your last comment. Um, uh, can you give your vantage point on emerging markets and maybe specifically as it relates to China? You know, one of the hangups clearly there has been regulation and government action, you know, on a number of different levels. You know, how concerning is that specifically or, you know, what's what's getting you intrigued with China? Uh, so first of all, that in terms of regulation, we've seen last year it's been extremely difficult for China in uh, a couple of the sectors, finance, education, etc. Um, so we we think that in terms of regulation, there will be a little bit of a slowdown in terms of regulation, or there less of a regulation. The zero COVID policy is the one that is the detrimental factor for China and even the Asian markets in terms of development and further development. But um, the, as I mentioned, the recent um, relaxation of those rules um, are a good point and maybe a good entry point uh, for investors to come into that market. And overall, emerging market is something that if we look at 2008, we're not at all in the same type of situation in terms of those countries. Maybe they're um, more immune to inflation than we are in the Western world because they've seen a lot 
more inflation than us. Um, and also in terms of that, that, that yes, strong dollar is always a negative for the emerging market, but there that in terms of dollar and local currency, the ratio is very different than what it was pre-financial crisis. So they're in much better shape. Um, and again, we have to be very selective. And clearly, as you mentioned, those that are linked to commodities are the ones that are, um, should, should the prices continue to rise, are the ones that will benefit. No, fair enough. And Ross, thoughts on, on this area from your vantage point? I, I think we are the completely opposite of Jonas. We are, <laughs> <laughs> we are far away from opportunistic. Um, so we, we more think about years uh, and in particular for China, what we really don't like is the, the regulatory environment, the geopolitical development. And we don't necessarily see investment risk there, but we do see the risk of outlier events due to regulatory actions that take place there. And hence we don't would allocate any anything at the moment to China. Oh, fair enough. Um, a couple of you all have mentioned in the context of emerging market, and I brought it up as well, um, currency, um, not necessarily just with emerging markets, but broadly speaking, with the backdrop that we have, um, you know, currency plays into either geographic exposure, asset class exposure. How are you thinking about currency at this point with the dollar at what some would say crazy high levels and many other currencies outside of Switzerland being at, you know, decade trough type levels? Um, does it extend? Is it something that you're you're thinking about actively within your your asset allocation or or investment selection process at this point. Uh, Rolf, do you want to go since you were just on? Uh, we we don't see that as uh, as an investment case. Um, we of course we have dollar exposure, we have um, Swiss franc exposure, and, and some other countries uh, currencies. But we do hedge that. Um, it, it's part of our investment approach that we don't expose ourselves our uh, pension assets to any kind of currency risk where where possible at least. Um, I do think that the dollar will keep its strength as long as the Fed keeps keeps its hawkish stance. Um, the European Union or the European Central Bank will, of course, also uh, tighten interest rates, but it will not be in the same level that the Fed is doing that. And as long as as this gap is in place, there will be a stronger dollar than than euro, for example. No, fair, fair enough. And Kalinka? For us, we, similar to what Rolf mentioned, and we, we do hedge our risk, our models are in, in different currency, and we do hedge the risk. And throughout the portfolio, the, the, the portfolio managers win active conversation in terms of their risk, in terms of currency risk, and how they hedge it. Um, so overall, we try to protect ourselves. No, and and Jonas, is this a, one of the active, nimble, um, you know, um, opportunities that you think about? Absolutely. I, I mean, we make a constant choice uh, for each investment, should we hedge or not hedge. Um, this year, we have made um, the same strategic call throughout the year that we will exploit the currency risk all over the place, i.e. in our alternative basket, in our commodity basket, and predominantly in our big overweight in equities. 
because as you can imagine being we've been nominated in swedish krona uh, our customers bring in swedish krona to the table uh, you know it's it's a lot easier this year it's easy to say now in retrospective to hold on to huge equity exposures when we have a plummeting swedish krona uh, so for us it's a constant choice uh, we uh, do buy our funds or invest in etfs of funds and then we always choose on top of the underlying strategy in what currency do we like this fund uh, which what currency do we want to buy it in you know swedish krona swiss franc or, or japanese yen or dollar or euro so right before the war started we were 98 percent in dollars uh, which was a great hedge uh, in the beginning of the war today we're 55 percent in dollar we're down to 40 on, on the euro the rest in sterling so for us it's a uh, absolutely tactical bet uh, we think fx is a great asset class in that sense to combine as a open variable on top of the equity exposures and if we are insecure or or if you don't find value we can easily close it by, by using hedge alternatives but for this year um uh, and actually for last year as well we have decided to um, well the strategy has been so far and unchanged to have a hundred percent open fx risk Fair enough, and and I would say, in from from a a, a BI perspective, um, our currency strategists have been um, uh, dollar bull. She remains a dollar bull. Um, she really would like to tilt that, but can't find the catalyst yet to be more constructive on things like the euro um, uh, or uh, the the pound, or you know, a, a high beta play on the euro, the krona. Um, yeah. and chomping at the bit and she's not there yet <laughs> well, it's, um, it's a lot easier being you know in swedish krona because you know being the worst currency in the world almost in g20 it sort of makes uh, the, the game plan for us uh, yeah. pretty rational just to open the barn door and let you know bring on the risk because this is just not going to work for this country this year yeah indeed um i think we have time for one last question um and Rolf, this was something that you had mentioned um, in our uh, in our sort of preparatory uh, discussions. You know, notwithstanding that markets have sold off yet again and are you know broaching lows, at least in the U.S. and 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 in Europe and various markets, um, there's arguably not really been a big capitulation moment. Um, do you have a sense? That there's a change in the investment culture. It could be institutional, or it could be retail. Uh, could be what's transpiring between active and passive from a broader perspective that is leading to investors being better able to sort of weather the storm as opposed to waiting for that capitulation in the moment of bailing out. Um, curious what you think, uh, uh, Rolf. It was it was your question, so you get the answer first. <laughs> I believe there will be no capitulation. Um, I, I think investors investors have learned in the past. Maybe they learned something wrong during the pandemic-driven uh, sell-off that the, the state, that the governments will secure them. But at the end, the result will be the same. I don't think that there will be such an event or that it is necessary to find a bottom. The bottom will be found once the news are getting better, once the economic numbers are getting better, and once we do see that central banks are getting more positive in terms of not increasing that much their, their rates. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping and fingers crossed that we don't see such an event. 
Fair enough. I Kalinka. Similar on our side, we're hoping to not see that event, but um, although we are uh, selectors within the active managers, we do have a selection of ETF with um, four proof providers. And it's been very difficult this year. And uh, as much as we're working on the active side, we didn't shy away and propose in certain months uh, some ETF solutions, because clearly they were the better solutions to, to hold because it's been very difficult so far for active managers, but we do believe that, yes, it's a difficult year, but active management will, and we do track active management versus passive uh, for all the asset classes, but we do believe that ultimately it will succeed. No, fair enough. And jo Jonas, any uh, any thoughts on the capitulation front? Well, I, um, well um, I'm sort of, again, um, we made that call in the end of June um, to, to put our last cash reserves to place and drop our short positions and bull hedges. So, you know, we're hoping that that June trough will hold. I mean, at least that portfolio, it's, you know, we're still up 7% or something. So, I mean, it looks to hold. But, but I think there's also something to, to what Rolf especially mentioned before, that we don't really see that as a key turning point. We think it's interesting that we saw equity sentiment creep up last week when we saw the equity market move down. You sort of see this, you know, correlations that goes from one sign to the next sign quite, quite abruptly. We think that's pretty interesting. We look at, you know, smart money indexes, et cetera, which we think is quite, quite positive. And, and for us to to be really I mean, you know going to be more nervous again we really need to see some kind of capitalization in a cross-currency basis where we can see sort of dollar liquidity becoming more expensive or counterparty risk building up between secure and unsecured loans and really can't see that and so so for us we're not waiting for the capitalization we our bet was that that happened at the end of june uh, and until these things you know deteriorate which they are not for the time being uh, we will stick to that position especially if we're in the money uh, and when we sort of run out of money basically and, and then we have to rethink but but so far we, we're sticking to those guns very good and you know from our vantage point we're not waiting for good though either um you know we we as i said earlier we we don't see an awful lot of valuation risk in europe we see some marginal earnings risk um oriented towards margins and we think an awful lot of the the bad news is priced in the us especially if you take out the the, the big five um and uh and certainly there's intriguing opportunities in emerging markets our uh, our emerging market strategists you know thinks you could see the the nifty even from these levels double again over the next three years and our uh, our north asian analyst is, our strategist is is in line kalinka with what you're thinking um um hopeful um uh that we've passed the the the, the worst uh, of things from a policy perspective so we shall see um we've kept the three of you for an hour and it's much appreciated um We've kept an awful lot of our uh, participants the whole time, which is fantastic. Um, we look forward to, uh, to next month's call and look forward, as I had said earlier, to uh, a, a series of Eventco events coming up in person. It's been fantastic, you know, getting back um, out and, and meeting and greeting, as I'm sure is the case with all of you all. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see you all uh, around at these, uh, at these uh, these happenings. So with that, why don't we bring things to a close? Um, Jonas, Kalika, Rolf, thank you very much for your time, for your thoughts, your insights, and uh, thanks for everybody for uh, for dialing in. Uh, with that, we'll bring it to a close.
Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye.